in the podcast, I'm going to talk about stuff that I've run into in construction and in what I think of as my adult life. But mm-hmm. I mean, obviously have run into this my entire life yep. from being a girl in the ice cream shop who had to lie to the owner's wife because he was cheating on her. About what the owner was doing. About what the owner was doing, about his whereabouts, and about whether we'd seen him and all of it. There was a very complicated set of rules we were all trained on to working in a lawyer's basement, and he would come in in a bath towel. Yeah, that and, was interesting. And for, dictate to me what I needed to do that day. For what, five dollars? Five eighty-five an hour. Yeah. And when I told him I needed a raise because you and I were... Uh, trying to go to school and support ourselves. While you were running a law firm. While I was running a law firm, and I said I needed a raise, and he said to me, it's one of the great injustices (laughs) in the world what secretaries make. That's right. Period. There's not even an answer, not even a no, because it's one of the, it was, that was it. It's one of the great great injustices. It's one of the great injustices in the world. Near and dear. Welcome to The Critical Path with Mary and Jason, a podcast about business development, company culture, and loving the place you work just a little bit more. This is episode 79, and we're going to be talking about Build the Circle, our scholarship initiative. Lots of good stuff here. So this is your rainy day episode coming straight to you from Seattle. So if you like our podcast, please rate it, share, subscribe, heart it, whatever it is that your app lets you do, uh, (laughs) and tell everybody around you how wonderful it is. Absolutely. So more people can hear it. This week, we're going to be talking about a big problem and some of our journey to try to figure out how to solve it. Diversity in construction. It It is an elephant in the room. And obviously, if you follow us or listen to the podcast or know anything about us then you know this is something we've been we've been working on and kind of grinding on for a while. Mm-hmm. So if you don't see diversity as a problem in our industry, you can go ahead and shut this off if you like. <laughs> Welcome to stick around, but this is really for the folks who are interested in moving our industry. Uh, if you are short on manpower, woman power, if you're short on talent, uh, if you people power, people power, if you want to to invest in making our industry a more productive and safe place, this is the place you need to be. Absolutely. Let's do it. So we have since really the very beginning of the work that we do in construction, we've been aware of a problem in the industry. The industry has always had a diversity problem. Well, and I, I think women in construction is an easy place to start. Even if you think about working in, in the trades and in the uh, garages and the job shacks, I know you spent more time in garages than in construction shacks, uh, <laughs> but it was really common to have Makita girl posters. It was really common to have scantily clad women, nude women, just pasted all over the place. So funny story, you may not remember this, but I do. Uh, Do you remember when we first went to work for your brother's roofing company Mm -hmm. and we first had an office for the company and Mm -hmm. it was your brother's old house. It was the living room of the old house. Mm -hmm. And there was a coffee table that the guys would gather around Mm -hmm. in the morning before they headed out to whatever roofing they were going to do that day. I do remember that. Do you remember what was on that coffee table? I could guess, but I don't remember it. There were copies of Playboy on that table. Why not? And the funny thing is, that this was never something, I mean, it was not something that bothered me, mm-hmm. but it was not something that anybody assumed would bother me. Right. Uh, and it was never a thing until we were doing job interviews mm-hmm. and a woman was coming in to interview and someone said, maybe we should move the Playboys. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe, I said, yeah, that's yeah, actually not a bad maybe idea. Maybe we could just move them for good, you know, <laughs> uh, in, in the like, heart of the business. Maybe that's not a thing we need before work every right. day, you know? Well, and, and even on one project, it was for a, a commercial project, we had uh, Makita Bikini Girls come onto a contaminated construction site in, in bikinis and high heels. Oh, so safe for them. Yeah. And, <laughs> and how that actually connects with construction, I'm not sure. They like brought sandwiches or something. Uh, but that was the culture that, that I grew up in. Well, and I think this is kind of what we're what we're kind of coming into is one of the things that I wanted to lead this conversation with is 
you already chased away everyone who thinks the problem is over by yeah, the telling them over. to leave. Yeah. Um, but often we have this idea that explicit racism, mm-hmm. explicit sexism is the problem that we're talking about. Right. So if I say to you, uh, there's no place for a woman here, you should leave. Or if I say, you know, I have these negative associations with the race that you come from mm-hmm. or your culture. Yeah, name calling. Right. right. Active, right. stepping out, making threats. Open hostility. Yeah. That that's the problem. And as long as we don't see that, then everything is Everything's fine. good. Everything is in bounds if as long as we're not explicitly showing hate or or reducing other people. Or violence right. or things like that. So I wanted to kind of just talk through just a handful of the things that we have seen over mm-hmm. our work in construction. So obviously it starts with me and uh, I have experience in construction and in tech with being not the expected configuration of person to Mm -hmm. be in those places. Well put. (laughs) So, uh, you know, right off the bat, we may have told this story on the podcast before that I was working on some software and Mm -hmm. had a a software. It was for a construction company. Mm -hmm. And it was custom software that they had paid a lot of money for. And the software engineer who was supposed to be working with them basically just got frustrated and ran away. Mm And so our IT contact just stopped answering the phone. And actually, it was after I got involved that he quit answering the phone, right. in all fairness, because I started asking him questions and he started throwing me the same techno babble he'd been given to the people who were working at that company, uh, except I could read through it where they couldn't and started calling him to account and he quit answering the phone. Mm-hmm. And so I brought in PM Jason. Yeah to track him down. And my and job was just to get this guy on the phone. Just to scruff him and get him on the phone. Right, if, if project managers can do one thing well, it's typically getting someone on the phone when you need to. <laughs> so I, I found a sideways route to get this guy on the phone, got him on the phone, had Mary connected with him, and I said, okay, go. And then I started taking him through a list of super technical questions about what was going on with the software, what we're developing, mm-hmm. what we're building. Uh, And he, over the call, could not get his head around what our roles were. And he kept asking, Jason, are you the IT guy over there, Jason? (laughs) No. No, I have literally not spoken to you about one IT thing. Yeah, my job is getting you on the phone. I know nothing about the tech that that Mary is leading here. Uh, I once had... And, And of course, you know, I would be the IT guy because I was the one with the penis, right? Right. You had the right equipment. Right. That's, that's what you need to be good at IT. Uh, I think that the idea for women, uh, the idea that our appearance is fair game in mm-hmm. a way that it isn't oh, for yeah. men. Uh, and so once I had a client who we worked with, and if you know me, if you've seen the website, if you've seen me in any way, you know I have never had normal colored hair. Not for 20 plus years. You may have seen me with pink, purple, mm-hmm. blue, green, any any number of different rainbow colors going on, but it's never a normal color. Mm-hmm. And uh, So then this was in course feedback. Course feedback yeah. about the training that we had done and was told, lose the blue hair. Yeah, but he didn't say lose the blue hair. He <laughs> no. Had, he had a typo in there. It actually and was loose the blue loose hair. Loose <laughs> the blue hair. So his one of his pieces of criticism or feedback about our training was loose the blue hair. That was the comment. That's what we're talking about here. So we're asking about training, and instead we get feedback on appearance. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Uh, and so would I ever get that that kind of feedback, even if I had blue hair? I don't know that I would. Right, or that they don't like the shirt that you wore, Mm -hmm. or they don't like the shoes that you wore. Women Mm -hmm. are are subject to our appearance has to fit someone else's idea of what it's supposed to be in a way that men... uh, Too too much jewelry. Not enough jewelry. Too much makeup. We had a construction project in the summer that we were doing years Mm -hmm. ago, and the project manager showed up in, like, shorts and sandals. Yep, flip-flops. Yeah, Mm flip-flops. No problem. Right. Women can't do that. Uh, So another piece is the work that we do is often uh, put through extra filters. So... Uh, I had developed a graphic compass statement. So this mm-hmm. is highly subjective. And if I give one of those to a client and the client says back to me, I just don't like it. Mm-hmm. I just hate so everything This about is it. like a, a pseudo marketing piece, but it, this is like a mission statement, but we call it a compass statement. Right. What is your true north of your organization? 
So we work with the company to get an idea from everybody at every level of what this company is all about. And then we put it together into this statement that kind of communicates that to mm -hmm. anyone who wants to know. Right. So arcades, compass is the lodestone. It's mm -hmm. this magnetic, cool, Viking meteor thing, which I won't go into right now. But you can go all the way back to like, gosh, episode one. There you go. No, episode two, because yeah. one was the raffle. Right. So I had built this this work and to look at that work and say, you know, for whatever reason, I don't like it. I hate everything about it. That mm -hmm. would have been an appropriate response. Nothing sure. wrong with that. And no offense taken by me. But instead, this client felt the need to say, well, uh, I really had to think about this. And I showed it to a few other people. I showed it to a consultant that I'm working with, and I showed it to uh, an important person at my company. Uh, and they both loved it, but I don't. They were both women, so I think it's probably a gender thing. Right. Maybe it's a gender thing. So it, it, the layer that got put over the top is that work isn't really appropriate for what we're doing because maybe it speaks better to women. But I thought the interesting part about that discussion was that the, the largest percentage of his clients were women. It's a residential contractor. Right. So all those homes, there are many times it is a woman who is running right. the work being done in that home. Yeah. But regardless, the idea of bringing gender into it, mm -hmm. I feel that if a man had designed that, there wouldn't really be any thought mm -hmm. about whether that was a gender thing or not. It would just be whether or not the work was the work that, right. that was yeah. wanted. Gender wouldn't even be a discussion. We wouldn't have a reason to talk about mm -hmm. it, but because it was designed by a woman, it was suddenly a gender thing. Mm -hmm. well, and we've also had experiences with race over the course of our career. We've done work, you've probably heard if you've listened to the podcast, that we do interviewing, we do matchmaking, mm -hmm. and we were helping a company to hire someone, and the company had a lot of challenges in their culture. Yeah, their and culture was really toxic, and we were working to help them improve it. Mm -hmm. But it you can't just flip a switch and change it overnight, especially if you don't have complete autonomy. Mm -hmm. uh, it's something that you have to work at and move bit by bit. So we were interviewing for a role, and got a guy who was a black guy, who was incredibly, a, he was just a really good fit for the role. He mm -hmm. had the right experience, he had the right knowledge. He also had experience, I think, with kind of toxic culture pieces. Mm -hmm. If we're not talking about like racial discrimination, we're just talking just about a rough, rough and tumble construction crew and kind yeah. of pulling those guys in. He had a lot of experience with that kind of setting, mm -hmm. and we felt that he would be really good for the and, job. And we had to ask, is it even fair to send him over there because we feel like it, it is a, a toxic situation. Well, and we felt that he would face racial discrimination. Mm -hmm. We really did feel like it was likely to be an issue. Yeah, and probably explicit. Uh, probably not just the, the passive racism that, that exists in many places. Mm -hmm. But ultimately we said, well, it would not be the right thing to do for us to go, well, he's likely to have a bad go of it, so we'll make the decision for him right. and not send him We're over. We're gonna take that opportunity away. So we sent him over, we went over and we interviewed with him, mm -hmm. gave, gave him our highest marks. Uh, it ended up not being an issue because he wasn't hired there. Yeah. So they didn't hire him uh, and we have to ask ourselves what component of that, if he did check all the boxes and mm -hmm. our recommendations were followed in almost every case, uh, was that race related? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, English second language is mm -hmm. another huge challenge in the industry. People who uh, either speak rough English or even if their English is okay, mm -hmm. uh, but they obviously speak Spanish more comfortably. Mm -hmm. That's another group of people who see a lot of challenges. Yeah. We worked with a company and the owner of the company told us that he wasn't concerned with uh, any kind of diversity initiatives because in his mind, racism of any kind is over. Yeah, you just need to work hard and everything else will work itself out. And while I agree that you know working hard is, is an important core concept, you can't help but acknowledge that racism is not over. We're still in it. Mm -hmm. We still deal with it. Meanwhile, this same company owner uh, told a an extremely talented 
employee at his company that he just wasn't going to be able to promote anymore. That was just the way that it was. Oh, yeah. You cap out here. That's it. That's how far you go. And at the same time, someone else at that same company uh, was at some point refusing to use a bathroom because Mm -hmm. that was the Mexican toilet. Yeah, it was a project manager, so it's a person in power, and he was reprimanded in in that situation. But uh, he he publicly said to a crew of English second language folks, I'm not going to use that toilet because it's the Mexican toilet. Right in the same company where where racism doesn't exist. We were told racism is over. So, you know, and I'm not going to go into, we have absolutely had experiences working with LGBTQ, Mm -hmm. with people who are gay, and with people who are transitioning Mm -hmm. their gender. Uh, I'm not going to go into those details just because they get more uh, more emotionally charged and tricky. But I think if you are part of construction, you can imagine without us having to give you any of the, the Cliff's notes, how difficult it can be to be different in those ways mm-hmm. in this industry. Yeah, and the people who get hurt in all of this are people that we care about. They're real humans with names and families. And all of this stuff is an active component of our culture. And I think it's really important that we recognize that, that on one hand, you hear construction folks complain about there not being enough talent, not being enough new blood coming into the industry. They're concerned about what the labor pool looks like. People don't want to join the industry. And on the other side, you see that we have this toxic environment that we've created that doesn't welcome folks that look different. Uh, So we're we're pigeonholing the, the hiring process so that we're only hiring people that look just like us and we're creating an environment where other voices aren't even welcome. We also complain that there aren't young people in Mm -hmm. construction, but studies have shown that young people are more worried about whether or not we are inclusive Mm -hmm. than the generations that came before them. So the truth is that some of that hostility to other races can even chase away white men mm-hmm. who are from that younger generation. Yeah, the way that you treat my coworkers in in many surveys is more important than the way that you treat me. Mm-hmm. So it's important that we recognize that we have that problem at, at the industry level. Uh, and when we're talking about diversity, there are a lot of other components that figure into diversity, but these are just a couple that, mm-hmm. that were uh, important enough to bring up for this conversation. So obviously we've been working with this because never at any time did we see these things and just ignore them. Yeah. I guess when it was me, we did a lot. Like we didn't well, really go to bat when it was me being uh, being discriminated against uh, for better or worse. And I suppose that we could talk more about a that. a whole different conversation. Yeah, because I, I want to do, maybe for Women in Construction Week, but mm-hmm. I want to do a, a podcast about specifically mm-hmm. women in construction because sure. I can speak to that from a very personal level. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, whenever we saw it and it was someone that we were working with, we always went to bat for people. We yeah. always did what we could to solve Called these problems out. on a one-to-one basis mm-hmm. where we it was never, what do we do about women in construction? It was... It's not industry-wide. It's in this conversation. It was, what do we do about this person mm-hmm. that we care about? Right. Um, but we had a lot of a lot of experience working with it. So when we rolled out form and basic training, we really were starting to have thoughts more about how could we make this more part of the work that we're doing in training and, and how not can just we, our consulting. And how can we improve the industry as a whole and not just on a one-to-one basis with the person I'm talking to. Right. So when we launched Forum and Basic, we said, send us your best and brightest. Mm-hmm. Send us the next generation of leaders. Right. And what we got was a lot of smiling white male faces. A lot of people who look just like me. And and while it's important that we train our next generation and it's important that we train our talent, uh, it's also important that we're mindful about making our industry a more diverse place. So we were kind of working through this, churning through this, trying to decide how to change this, this outcome. Mm-hmm. And we said... Please give priority to women, to black people, to English second language speakers, Mm -hmm. to anyone who is underrepresented in the industry. Please give priority to them. So when you're deciding who to send, please just pass it through that filter and make sure that, that those are the people that you're looking for first. And the overwhelming answer that we heard is we don't have those people. Mm-hmm. We don't, it's not that we have them and we're passing over them. It's that 
we don't have them here. They, they largely don't exist. And it just made us that much more aware of the fact that we have a big systemic problem. Houston, we have a problem. Yeah. Right. The problem here is not that we have a bunch of racist people who are refusing to let people progress or making these explicit decisions, even though I'm sure I'm that, sure that, that exists. also exists. Yeah, I'm sure that exists. I'm not gonna not gonna say it doesn't. Yeah. But that's not the problem that we're tackling here. The problem that we're tackling here is big and it's systemic and it's that these groups of people have not been represented, mm -hmm. have not felt welcome, and have opted away from this industry altogether. Mm -hmm. And we need to figure out how to get more of those voices in our industry mm -hmm. because we need them. When ultimately, the, in the conversations that we're having, I'm asking the question about whether or not we've created an environment that welcomes those voices, that welcomes those perspectives or not. But even if you at your company create mm -hmm. an environment that I'm welcomes I'm saying as those, an industry. Yes, but I'm saying even if like if I took that step, if mm -hmm. I said my company is very welcoming yeah. to these people, if we aren't reaching out to those people where they can hear us, mm -hmm. we aren't going to find out. Right. They aren't going to find out. They aren't going to show up. Yeah. So it, it takes a bigger systemic movement to start moving these pieces. Mm -hmm. And we felt like we had a role to play in that conversation. Well, and it's tough. I mean, it's, it's a difficult place to be in. Um, I, I think it's especially difficult for me, uh, even though, you know, even saying that is problematic because uh, I, am, I am the most privileged person in the conversation. So how do you talk about how do you talk about diversity uh, when when my class is a big part of the problem, mm -hmm. right? Is is the the source? And something that you know over last summer when a lot more conversations like this started to happen, then something that started to happen is that some of these people in seats of privilege had a tendency to uh, really loudly give their perspectives and their ideas and their solutions and kind of speak over some of the people who were really living these challenges. Mm -hmm. And so it was really, we wanted to be really careful in the way that we interacted because we felt like our privilege meant we had a responsibility to be part of the solution. Mm -hmm. But it was really important that we didn't just say, we're here and we're going to fix the problem. You right. know, that's referred to as white savior complex, mm -hmm. the idea of uh, kind of centering your need to help over the need of the people who mm -hmm. are actually suffering. And and to make things more complicated, we do have folks who listen to this podcast. We do have people who respect our opinions. And it's important that we we make use of that, make use of that platform in order to to amplify the voices of the folks who need to be heard. So one of the first things we did is we started to use the podcast and talk to more of those people and mm -hmm. have those conversations on this podcast. Mm -hmm. And there are several really great interviews with people who can give you some insight into what their lived experience was. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was one way that we, that was kind of the least thing that we could do. Right. So then as we slowly educated ourselves on what was going on and learned more about the psychology of what was going on, we wanted to interact with it kind of as our business, do what we do best, which is train people. Uh, but of course, there was a lot of talk about at that point about the white people who kind of came out of the woodwork mm -hmm. and said, we'll come fix your problems. Right, we'll train DEI. Right. So a company would then, that is all white people, would have a board, a DEI board that is all white people, and then they would hire a white consultant to come in, right. and they'd all work together and... Fix racism. Right. Mm -hmm. And you can see the problem inherent there. But you can also see the problem inherent that we felt like we couldn't just sit down and go, well, this isn't our problem to solve. Right. This isn't, it's not our... It's Do not nothing. It's our, not our, our thing. Not it. Not it. Yeah. So the way that we kind of squared that up for ourselves, whether we're right or wrong, and I'd love to hear more opinions on it, is that we said, we can teach implicit bias. Mm -hmm. We can teach about what goes on in our own brains that causes us to make these judgments without always realizing we're doing it. Mm -hmm. And our So role, this is like the basic level of, of understanding bias, the basic level of diversity, mm -hmm. kind of step one. And our role is to kind of 
Be the person in the same room as you mm-hmm. who speaks up and tells you you're wrong. Be the friend who speaks up and tells you you're wrong. And, and most certainly, if we're talking about gender, then we come from a place collectively that, that Mary <laughs> feels pretty confident that we can do that. Uh, but it's important that if we're talking about other uh, areas of diversity, uh, that we tread a little bit more thoughtfully mm-hmm. in, in terms of how we support that cause. But we had a lot of clients at the time who would not necessarily go to, say, a black DEI mm-hmm. consultant when they have a problem with race, whereas they would be more willing to be ready to listen to us. Mm-hmm. So we come in and kind of bear that initial conversation out of saying, let's all understand what's going on in our brains. Let's all understand what implicit bias really is. Mm-hmm. And then as we kind of suss out where, what neighborhood their problem is in, then we can reach out to those voices. Mm-hmm. We can bring those voices on board uh, under kind of our, uh, under our banner mm-hmm. and, and bring those voices that are the needed voices into the conversation where they have a little room to work. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of our, our idea of how to go about that problem. So every time we would speak with somebody in uh, DEI, diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion folks, we would ask the question, so where do you start at an organization? Where do you start trying to, to make this shift in terms of, if we're talking about the industry, where do you start? If we're talking about a company, at what position do you start at in order to start making the shift to make it more hospitable? Yeah, so just to, to make it nice and clear, let's say we decide at our company that we don't see enough, we don't see enough black folks in here. We don't have enough black voices. So if, we start at the top, then what that looks like is maybe we bring in a diversity expert mm-hmm. or just put someone on our C-suite that is black and is not there just for a diversity role. We have a black VP now. And there is a lot of skepticism about this approach for the reason that that it can feel like it's just political. It can feel mm-hmm. like there are no uh, areas of authority actually given to that person. And and the people beneath them, even if we put a person and we put a person in that VP role who is brilliant and mm-hmm. qualified and great at the job, there is bound to be a certain uh, a certain Resistance. skepticism yeah. that says, "Oh, well, they're just a diversity hire." Right. So there's an enormous amount of pressure on that person to come mm-hmm. in and be that that banner carrier, and it can be too much for anyone. Mm-hmm. However, if we start at the bottom, if the goal is we're going to hire people into the field and have them start their at the career labor position, here, at the intern position, they're going to start their career here. We're going to bring in more more black people there. They can struggle because there's not a lot of support above them. Nobody else looks. They like don't them. look up and see any you know foreman or any superintendents mm-hmm. or any project managers they who look like that. They don't necessarily see a pathway to promotion or, or a real future there. Because if no none of the upper management look like them, there's a psychological component that, that tells them that they can't do it. And they can hire into a hostile environment that the management at that company doesn't even know is there. So there are a lot of challenges to that, to putting mm-hmm. those entry-level young people into that difficult situation. The problem is- And, and even finding people. Wherever we start bringing people in to a company, it's bound to be a pressure point. Mm-hmm. It's gonna put an enormous amount of pressure on that one person. Right. And whether it's one person at the top or even several at the bottom, that pressure point is gonna be a difficult challenge to get past. Yeah, so at a minimum, we need to be aware of that pressure that we're adding to the system. Mm-hmm. So this was something we cranked on for a long time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how, how then do you fix it? That's what we've done our whole career is see a problem, figure out how you might go about trying to fix that problem. So the other challenge here, aside from the challenge of where do you bring people in, top, bottom, middle, what, the next part of this problem is the issue that people who look like, people who look like Jason, 
were born into many of them were born mm. into construction. Yeah, they a were, lot of a lot of folks who look like me were and work in construction came to construction by association. We were raised into it. Our fathers, our grandfathers, our uncles, maybe more than one person, our brothers, uh, were involved in the industry. And in many ways, we've been learning the industry for 10 years before we even put on a, on a tool bag. We've been receiving advice and strategy and, and had not, visibility. Not just technical training, mm -hmm. but uh, words of wisdom about how the game works, mm -hmm. how construction works. Uh, often we have uncles who were in the industry, mm -hmm. whether they're actually our parents, brothers or not. Yep. Right. Oh, yeah. We have those people in our lives, those connections in our lives that our dad worked with for his whole career mm -hmm. and are also in construction. Yep. So there is this, it's not even just our dads, mm -hmm. but this whole network that exists that we have access to. When I, I share that we've got, what, two teen kids, if I needed to get them jobs today, I could have 10 jobs for each one of them just by making a couple of phone calls. That network is something that is not unique to me. If you are in the industry and you're listening to this, you're probably nodding your head saying, yep, yep. I, That's I, how I can do that construction works. Yep. It's easy to find a job for your kid in mm -hmm. construction. Yeah. And on and on it goes. But mm -hmm. we need to acknowledge that that is, that is a component, that is an element there that doesn't exist for people who come in from outside of the industry. So if this is coming from our dads mm -hmm. 20 years ago, there, if, if we have a, a dearth of diversity in construction today, 20, 30 years ago, it was even worse. Even less. Even yeah. less of anyone who looked different. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and your dad told you there's no point in teaching you how to work on cars. Mm -hmm. Well, now I was gonna go there. Yeah. That, that So you have underrepresented people mm -hmm. who their dads could not have been in the industry or right. could at least have not been leaders in mm -hmm. the industry. And so they didn't have that training. And then you could say for, for white girls, well, you could have had a dad in the industry. Yeah. yeah, we did. And often our dads weren't handing us any of that knowledge, any of that training. Mm -hmm. uh, we were handed a, a baby doll and told to, you know, go watch be a good girl. Watch after your sisters. Right. I, I told, I share the story that, you know, my dad, he did not teach me to work on cars. He mm -hmm. told me there was no point in teaching yeah. a girl to work on cars. He did, however, teach me to hold a flashlight mm -hmm. in a way that I stayed out of his way. Right. That was the extent of what That's I learned skill. from my like mastermind mechanic father. Mm -hmm. So, you know, girls have our own challenge there, even if we grew up in the network. Yep. And even if we we might have a network, we might have those uncles who are, you know, again. But they're not gonna take you seriously. They're not gonna give us a job uh -huh. unless it's to run the front desk and answer the phones. Right. Or, you know, to Keep do the, the books. bookkeeping. Yeah. yeah, bookkeeping. So the big challenge here is that when we're looking to promote someone, if we have two people and they seem like they're about equal. I say they they're about equal age, they're about equal years of experience mm -hmm. uh, in terms of formal work experience. Mm -hmm. One of them's a black guy, one of them's a white guy. So let's say that it feels to me like they're about e equal and I have zero, zero prejudgment in my mind about the black guy. Mm -hmm. I, it has nothing, explicitly. nothing to do with him being black. Yeah. Let's say explicitly and implicitly. Okay. Let's say I don't have any of that. Okay. I really am completely egalitarian yep. when it comes to this. Pure slate. However, if that white guy actually, as a 28-year-old guy, he actually has 20 years that he's been kind of marinating mm -hmm. in the construction industry. Yep. His, his father was in construction, his grandfather was in construction. He's fourth generation construction. He comes highly recommended by three or four people I respect mm -hmm. in the industry. And let's say that the black guy, he's 28, he's been in the industry for six years. Mm -hmm. So he's got some technical skills. He probably has not even begun to get that training of how the game works, that mm -hmm. bigger picture knowledge. He doesn't necessarily have those connections who recommend him to me. So I'm gonna look at the two being about even. I'm gonna look at the fact that the white guy's got these really great references. Mm -hmm. He's got some of that knowledge. Some network. That, that, that bigger picture, you know, here's how you play the game that mm -hmm. his dad taught him. Yep. I'm gonna think he's got the edge. Mm -hmm. When the truth is, if I'm actually looking at two guys who are performing about equally, one has 20 years of training and one has six, mm -hmm. 
It's a different calculus. I need to understand all those pieces coming yeah. in because that means that the guy with less training mm-hmm. has done more in fewer years mm-hmm. in order for them to even look remotely equal. So it's important, and I use the, the example of doing a, a subcontractor bid review where you line up the subcontractors who are bidding on the project and you, you compare them number to number, detail mm-hmm. to detail, all the way down the list. Mm-hmm. So it's important that when you're comparing uh, different folks for promotion, that you're actually including all of the the details about those people. How long have they been in the industry? Because it actually matters uh, how quick they can learn, how fast they can move. And it's not entirely about the privilege that that they have. Uh, We should make sure that we're figuring that stuff in when we're talking about promotion. So this kind of led us to the first important part of how we feel we solve the problem. And, and that first part is that it's through training. Mm-hmm. It's not just through taking someone and dumping them into a role and hoping they succeed yeah, there. You, if you just take a person and jam them into the position and they're not prepared for it, it's mm-hmm. gonna go poorly, both politically for, for them mm-hmm. you know, in, in their sphere and also practically in their career. They're gonna get into that position, they're gonna burn out, they're gonna fail. And it was not due to a failure of, of themselves. It was a mm-hmm. failure that we set them up for that failure. So in the same way that we we should provide training to everyone, we need to make sure we're providing training to everyone, mm-hmm. to not just the white guys who we see as the next leaders, but to the women mm-hmm. and to the English second language speakers who have leadership qualities and to everyone in the industry. So it's through offering training to those people that we give them the skills that they need to be able to succeed and in the industry. And in, in putting together the Build the Circle initiative, the, the core focus is providing training and trying to amplify the amount of training that we give to those folks yep. that are underrepresented. And not just the technical training, mm-hmm. but that bigger picture, here's how a project works, here's, here's the how strategy. the game works, here's yep. the strategy that kind of training, which often people have never received, especially when you're looking at like the foreman level, no, unless they got it from their dad. Right, so when we send them through class, when we send them through foreman basic or PM basic, there's also a piece of network that gets developed with their classmates. Well, and that's the second part. So if the first part is training, the second part is support. Mm-hmm. They cannot exist and survive in this environment if they're the only one who looks like them and they feel like an outgroup, they feel like an outsider. Yeah. So it's important that we help these people who don't, they aren't born knowing people in the industry mm-hmm. to get to know some people in the industry. Right, and, and hopefully they get to know people with influence. It's not mm-hmm. just the, the labor level, entry level folks. They need to be able to access people and get input and advice from people that have influence. So by running through Foreman Basic or PM Basic, then the scholarship recipients that we bring through the program, they get to know the rest of their cohort. Mm -hmm. They get to know their classmates. These programs, by the end, these people know each other. This is not a class that you sit through in your own desk and yep. don't know anyone's name. It's not like you. not like a Zoom class. Mm-hmm. They are by the end of the class. They are not just talking to each other, sharing stories with each other, supporting each other, exchanging business cards and exchanging stories and showing pictures of their kids and giving each other a hard time about mm-hmm. stuff. It's these guys know each other by the end, mm-hmm. and so whoever comes through the program, they're going to have this group of people that are in the industry that they know. Mm-hmm. They get the Q&A session at the end. Yeah, so, so now at the graduation event, we have our senior panelists who, who the students get access to, uh, who the scholarship recipient students get access to as well. And they are able to ask them tough industry questions. Mm-hmm. And there are, there are conversations that happen in that room about how to overcome some of these challenges. Mm-hmm. And after the session, they know those people. They also know us. So we become, everyone who comes through these programs, scholarship or otherwise, becomes part of the Arcade family. Mm -hmm. And so they can reach out to us anytime 
forever for as long as we're here. In the case that they have uh, questions that are related to their career trajectory, maybe a problem that they're dealing with, Mm -hmm. we open up our doors and and let them have access in the case Mm -hmm. that they need something, they know where to find us. Yep. And finally, another part of that program is that that company that has sponsored them through the program Mm -hmm. uh, will set up a meeting for them with someone who's kind of an executive level person Mm -hmm. where they can ask questions about the industry. They can get to know someone who is higher up in the company than they might have otherwise had access to. Yeah, and that provides a a sounding board or a place where they can ask for more information about the industry or about that company in particular. Mm -hmm. So I always think with this about you, Mm -hmm. um, when we were in Canada and we were trying to come back home to Seattle, you uh, one of the companies that you applied with was GLY. Mm-hmm. And you ended uh, up through that process. Did, did I? Well, so let me tell this yeah. and you can correct me if okay. I'm wrong and Go we can it. cut any of it out of the yeah. podcast that you don't want in the podcast. You interviewed with GLY. And when you interviewed with GLY, you spoke with Jane mm-hmm. at GLY. And the response you got at that time was they said man we'd really love to hire you we we really you're you you have a lot of what we're looking for but we're just still things are pretty locked down and we're just not hiring they weren't hiring we're just not hiring right now but you met jane Mm -hmm. and had a a real kind of long conversation with jane about Mm -hmm. the state of the industry yeah and that connection then remained throughout the rest of your correct your construction career. Yeah. You could reach out to her for thoughts, input, and advice. Regularly did. Regularly did. Mm-hmm. And then when you decided to start this business, actually before you decided to start this business, you called JLY up and mm-hmm. said, Hey, you have a position available for someone who wants to do training. Yeah. And I think probably by now they're probably sorry they didn't oh, take you up on it. <laughs> I, I don't know that I'd say that, but yeah. <laughs> and then as we built our business, mm-hmm. Jane was someone who her advice was really important oh, yeah. to it still is. our ability to reach other people. Mm-hmm. There were so many little ways that Jane was helpful to you. Well, and I think, you know, the, the connection with Jane is really important. But I think when you step back and look at all of the access that I've had to so many people over the course of my career, mm-hmm. uh, it it's really incalculable, the amount of good that it's 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 provided to me mm-hmm. to just have the peace of mind, if nothing else, to know that you have you have the the right connection f- at the right time to answer the question. I, I had a, a client give me a piece of feedback that was, Jason seems to have uh, what was it, an uncountable number of connections for mm-hmm. any situation, and I think that that network in construction is so incredibly important. And that's something that when you have a new person coming in from outside of the industry with no family connection, mm-hmm. they're starting from zero. Well, and I think, though, that there's that conversation about, like, handouts, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, you don't want to give people a handout. And, you know, arguably, you could make the the argument that Jane didn't give you anything. Oh, did In the sense that she never gave you a job. No. She never gave you no, money. No, but she, she gave me time. She gave she you her gave time. She gave me access. And, I, and I'm not trying to minimize yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. But my point, I guess, is that often... It there wasn't are, a handout. Right. Mm-hmm. Often there are people who, if they just knew someone they could reach out to, what they need isn't someone who's willing to dump a bunch of money on them. Yep. What they need is just someone they could reach out to mm-hmm. who has good advice. Right. Who is willing to just spend... 15 minutes yeah. having a conversation. So that's the hope of that that partner connection mm-hmm. is that that could be someone who they could build a connection with, hopefully, and yeah. could talk to someone who would just give them 10 minutes of their time yeah. every now and again. It's it's the power of the introduction. It is. Mm-hmm. So that's that's kind of the that's kind of the the core of what we're trying to do here is to give people access to the training and the knowledge that they don't necessarily have Mm -hmm. and give them access to the connections. Again, not giving them someone who will just do anything for them, but just helping them start to feel like, you know, if you've ever been, some people are really extroverted and love going to those networking events. If I go to a networking event and I don't know anyone in the room, I hate everything about that event. I cannot bear those events. However, when we go to an event that's uh, maybe a client company mm-hmm. or a client organization. But there's some meaningful connection. And there are several people there who I 
know, and mm-hmm. I, I don't have to know them well even, but I know who they are. I have a reason to talk to them. Now, being in the room is a different experience. Well, and I, I think when we're talking about diversity and privilege, uh, the, the way that I, I look at, at my role is that it's important that, that many, many doors were opened for me. They were left open. People opened them for me mm-hmm. over the course of my career. It's important that, that I open doors for other people. And sometimes I need to kind of jimmy the lock a little bit. Sometimes <laughs> I need to push a little bit harder than you otherwise might. And sometimes you need to hold the door open in order to let those folks through. When, when you have bright talent and, and there are a number of factors that hold them back that, that were just factors that they were born with, uh, there's no reason why they shouldn't have the same access that, that you have. And there's no reason to short the industry mm-hmm. by stopping them from getting in because once they get in, they do they'll so be fine. much. But it's not just that yeah. they'll be fine. It's that they will do so much good. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we often look at it like, oh, we should help people whether they're talented or not. Right. But the truth is that if we just let these people in the door, mm-hmm. then they will light the industry on fire. They will do so many good, amazing things. They will help us solve problems. They will help us get work done. They will help us make enough money mm-hmm. to be able to have room at the table for everyone. Right. We're, we are stabbing ourselves in the foot when we limit ourselves in the way that we do. You bet. The second objective to what we're doing with Build the Circle, the sort of secret objective. Mm-hmm. This is the unspoken part is that these scholarship students will be in the room with the uh, column legacy students, Mm -hmm. right? So those students that we are gonna continue to see who are the next leaders of the industry as we perceive them right now, who are the sons, who are those white men who are running the industry right now, Mm -hmm. by having the scholarship students in the room with them by teaching them about these differences, all the things we're talking about in this podcast, by teaching that in these programs, we are helping, we hope, to pave the way to make that environment better. The, the single best way to dissolve stereotypes and prejudgments is when you know somebody from that outgroup with a name when you know their story, when you know them as, as a person as opposed to just uh, a photo on, on the news. Mm-hmm. When you actually know these people and have gone through these courses together, it changes the way that you feel about those outgroups. Yep. So that second secret, secret objective is helping those future leaders of the field and of the office change the way that they perceive uh, outgroups and underrepresented folks. Yeah, absolutely. And the hope is that that will help. So we talked through kind of those challenges of if we bring people in at the top, then we see that enormous pressure and that skepticism that isn't good for anyone. If we bring people in at the bottom, then they often meet this hostile environment. Mm-hmm. So the hope is that by running as many students as we can through these programs, we are helping to prepare that way. We are helping to reduce some of that pressure mm-hmm. on those people that we're bringing through. Yeah, and it, it's general education that kind of prepares the environment to make it more hospitable to people who look different. And the hope is that, again, this kind, kind of comes back to that groundswell conversation, mm-hmm. that if we can bring in all kinds of people at the field level and give them the skills that they need to make them impossible not to promote. Just rock stars. Just make them rock stars. Yeah then they can promote and everyone around them will know how awesome they're, they are. And it'll be, they'll be promoted based on their skills and their performance and the way that they're able to overcome any challenge. And if they can't overcome the challenge, they'll understand precisely why. And as we see those people promoting through the ranks, mm-hmm. then the hope is that that will work its way all the way up through the environment over, over time mm-hmm. uh, so that eventually we will start to see those diverse faces in the C-suite, but rather than putting them there and expecting them to carry all this weight by themselves, mm-hmm. there is this kind of upward swell that by the time they get there, they have the support throughout the organization, mm-hmm. they have the connections, 
uh, and they have what they need to be successful. Mm -hmm. And so now you've got to see a little bit into the mind of madness, <laughs> uh, build the circle and, and what we have going on under the surface, uh, a little bit of the spirit that we have underneath the program, uh, all of the inner workings and what have you. And there are the, the key roles that we're looking to fill. So we have our partner company role that we're looking to identify new folks, new companies, new organizations that want to put up funds to help move our industry forward and make it more diverse and more unbelievable. And offer a meeting with that kind of mentor person who wants to be their connection in the industry. Yeah, if you want to be part of the circle, that's that's what we're looking for in that partner level. If we're looking, if you're looking to contribute or identify bright young talent uh, that will help diversify our industry, mm -hmm. you want to be a, a mentor for Build the Circle. Please reach out. We'd or love if, to have you. Yeah, or if you know someone who would be a great mentor, mm -hmm. just let us know. Uh, and any other way that you see that you would want to get involved with this you know some of the most interesting stuff that happens is not the defined role where we say we need this help and then a person says i'll give you that help mm -hmm. but someone who says hey i have an idea let's do this together so if you have ideas if you see a role for yourself in your special skill set and you want to be involved in build the circle in any way please let us know, talk to us. Right, and just to give a shout out to GLY Construction for their support of Build the Circle for as a partner. For being your mentor for and my mentor. mentoring some of these students Absolutely. with us. Yeah, uh, shout out to uh, Nawick for sponsoring uh, our first woman student coming through the uh, scholarship program and uh, Northwest Partitions for supporting us. Uh, Economic Alliance Snohomish for sponsoring a student and also being a mentor. Yep, absolutely. And a shout out to Anu. Uh, we're developing our partnership with Anu to help identify potential candidates for the program. Mm -hmm. Anu is doing really great work with pre-apprenticeship and our hope is that at the end of all of that that we can identify some of their talented students who want to come and do some of our training as kind of a post-apprenticeship if you'd like to join us for Foreman Basic or PM Basic, I feel like we have a couple of spots left for March, March 15, March 16. So reach out and see if we still have that spot available. See but, if, if, if someone snapped them up yet. Yeah, but we're also filling for May as well. So if you want a little bit more time, want to check into the program, that is the place that you want to go yeah. spy. Foreman Basic and PM Basic, both yep. running in May. There you go. What else? Did we do it? Yeah, I think we did it. We, we, this is going to be a long one, but I think it's okay because I think it's an important one. Mm -hmm. We had a lot to say. You can find us. You can find us at www.arcadewayfinding.com. You can find uh, The Critical Path at www.thecriticalpathpodcast.com. You can find more about Build the Circle at www.build-the-circle.com. And you can find us all over LinkedIn. All over. We're all like over everywhere. The place. We live there. Everywhere. Uh, West Seattle, come on down for a cup of coffee. We are holding in-person meetings, of course, socially distanced and all that good stuff. Yeah, watch for it. Watch for it. What? Nothing. It's not a look. Nothing. It's not a look. There was a look. It's like... No, there was definitely a look. It was not. There not was a look. a look. Not a look. Let's do this. I'm just getting outtakes. <laughs> I know. Oh, you just want me to riff then? Sure, always. Then we get outtakes. So otherwise it's hard to get outtakes. Is it? Yes. It's really hard to get outtakes because during the episode... Mm -hmm. You don't want to cut something critical. Yeah, well, a lot of our cutting up, I like to keep it because yeah. we actually have a pretty good feel for when it's getting boring and mm -hmm. we'll cut up a little and then you don't want to cut that. Right. You know? You don't know. It was a look. Okay. <laughs> it is what it is. One of the great injustices. It, it, yeah, it's one of the great injustices of the world. Of the world. Right, yeah, yeah. That's great. If I what? could just smile more, you know? Just smile more. Just try that out. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sure, you know, studies have statistically shown that women that smile more still get paid the same shitty wage. <laughs> I was gonna say you should have led that with well actually, but uh -huh. since you actually kind of ended up on the, mm. you know, uh, Steve Trevor side of things, then <laughs> I'm 
I'll say it's okay. 